Red Dirt D&D brings you a whole new story featuring the world's greatest role-playing game with an Americana twist. Join a new cast of characters like Sintra, a Knoll paladin. <laughs> Wrath of the Bone Mother be upon you! Billy, a possum fighter. Underestimating me would be the last thing you do. Jessica, a Yodi ranger. I don't know much about the gnolls, but if you greet people with a smile and just be calm and courteous, everybody will be willing to listen. Twitch, a ratfolk necromancer. Soon the world will be mine. Stop laughing. How dare you? Easy oh, now, there's no need for violence. Zianzi, a spiderkin rogue. My, my favorite flavor of blood is red. W what's yours? And Blackjack, a jackalope folk warlock. I say, did that cat ask for help? The next campaign for Red Dirt D&D will still include original music and sound effects like always. We'll also keep the program short, only about 40 minutes, so you can easily listen while driving or working out at the gym. New shows drop every Wednesday and are totally free. You can listen to the latest episode and catch up with past performances on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you get your favorite online programs. You can find out more information at Red Dirt D&D on Facebook, Twitter, and at reddirtdnd.com. You are listening to Tones of the Chaos Bard. Welcome, welcome, Tomies, to Tomes of the Chaos Bard. I am DM Dave, and straight ahead of me, I have... Fenrir! Here we go for the side quest for Fenrir and Joanna. So just kind of give you guys a little recap. We left off left Fenrir and Joanna at, near the town of Nevelton. But they're off in a little forest, and Fenrir is working on his... On the uh, deed, trying to copy that, kind of forge that. Um, Henley and Boudreaux has come back and informed them that Roscoe and Roscoe and uh, Lila and Gratha are fine, and that they're going to go ahead and leave these two behind. Joanna, you can tell that she's very uncomfortable. You can tell she's being super quiet, which hasn't been necessarily weird <laughs> this whole time, but. Because of your kind of conversations that you've had with her before, where she just wants to leave, you can tell that she's plotting something. Roll me a um, perception check. Unnatural 20. Very nice. Okay. So as you see that un uneasiness in her, you do notice every now and then as you're, you know, forging your document and then you go and check on her see here you see that she has been preparing her eagle so as i walk out there to check on her from forming the deed i will ask her where are you going I, uh nowhere i'm just uh checking on the eagle you gonna prep mine too i, I i'm not prepping anything I'm just making sure that they're 
fine and healthy just in case we have to, you know, get out of here. Okay. I mean, that, that makes sense. We, we, we should probably, we should probably get headed, get going here. What, what do you think about how this deed looks so far? And I'll pull out kind of both copies and kind of show her both of them and. So she kind of like looks at him and she's like, well, there's doing all right, I guess. There's still little, little errors here, but is is this your final work? No, I, I was thinking though, like it doesn't like who, who writes these deeds, right? Like, cause it doesn't have to be. If I'm handing over a fake deed, as long as the fake deed writing looks all the same, like how would they tell which is which is the real and which is not? It depends on how how much they know of you know deeds. I mean, obviously, it, if they're a layman, then they probably wouldn't be able to spot much. But if they're more educated and know the system, like if you took this into a clerk, they'd obviously would probably without even probably just reading the first line they would know it's a fake but mm. for a, a commoner they probably wouldn't be able to tell they'll notice the writing difference but right. I don't think they'd be able to tell but don't they have different clerks that write different letters they do so couldn't this have been written just by a different clerk it's possible if you can convince them that if they do question it I'll keep working at it yeah, I just I just don't know. I mean, if we're if you know, Marlowe, he would know what official documents look like. Whether how much he would know, I don't know, but I think he might be able to, you know, pick out a little little things better than the average person. Right. Yeah, that's a that that would make a lot of sense. So I I think the the better we get it, the more time we spend on it, probably the better. Yeah. How, how, what are your thoughts on, you know, Henley and the crew going to scout ahead? It was, it was good news to hear that Lila and, Gar Lila and uh, Roscoe were, were safe. Yes, yes it was. But, I, I mean, I'm just uneasy about the whole thing. I... I think this is this has been a bad idea of I, I shouldn't have gotten you guys involved. You guys have been, you know, already you have your own problems. You guys don't need to worry about my problems and trying to do this, you know, thinking about it more as we've been flying on the Eagles. I If we get caught doing this, if they find out that I did bring somebody along, Mendrick's dead. And he's all I have left now. Can you not go back to Dengal with your daughter? I have no one in Dengal. I could go with her, but she's going to have her own life now. She's going to marry Noland and, you know, the, my job of raising her is done. Sure, I'll be able to visit her, but... Right, but Mendrick's who you have. He's all I got left. I don't have any other family. I mean, what? 
I don't see what good in killing him does, because that, I mean, if they kill him, then you're definitely not going to hand over the deed, right? Unless they kill me, too. But then who, wouldn't your daughter take ownership? Marlo would probably find some way to forge the document to put it in his name. Hmm. He would find some way to do it. Or somebody would. You're right, it would... Legally, it would go to my daughter, but... I don't know if my daughter would want it. Right, she may... Plus, her going to Dengal, she'd be... Even further away. Hard to reach. Yeah. Well, when... How, how, how long should we wait before we try and catch up? I don't even know how you guys are going to contact each other. You have nobody... How? Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about that, and when we were in Avalon, I was fortunate enough to be given a couple of sending scrolls, and so I do have a way that I can contact them when we're ready. I can, you know, cast this spell, and they'll be able to tell tell us where they're at and where we should go and how we can meet up. Okay, but do do you think... There is a chance. I mean, from what I've heard of the Hollow, of what at least Mendrick has told me, like, there's really no warriors there. They're all people that's lost their land and kicked off or downtrodden people. There's really not any fighters there. You are right about that. So do you think that it's even possible that they would want to help? And from what you guys have told me, Mendrick has not been approachable and very distant and not very nice to some people there. Do you yeah. think they would even help? I think they would help if Roscoe and Henley especially. Henley's been there for quite a while. She's she, you know, was a ranger there. She's been a ranger there for as long as I've been there and before that. So I think if Henley and Roscoe and asked, then I think they would. And Lila Garatha as well. She's been she was helping the town out before we were there, helping mine and things like that. Um, I think if they asked a handful of folks, I think they would be willing to help out. I just don't want any anybody dying over this. How how do I don't know. The the easiest way, I think, is just going and just give them the real deed. I can just get it over with. I don't want you guys risking your lives. I mean, and I don't want anybody risking lives in the hollow either. I mean, who's to say that they wouldn't, once they have the deed, who's to say that they wouldn't let you go? That they would let you go? Well, I guess that's true. But to have, you know, if they... if we did give them the real deed and they ended up killing me and Mendrick anyways. At least that's only two people instead of others. So are you willing to risk your life that Marlowe's going to be a man of his word? It doesn't seem like he is. As I said, Mendrick's all I have. If he's dead... I got nothing. 
I mean, I'm sure you've got friends back in Avalon, and you still have, you still have your daughter. Yeah, she's making a life of her own, but, you know, I'm sure you're hoping that, you know, she, she has kids one day that you can go and visit. And I think you have more in your life than you realize. I've given a, a lot for Mendrick. When me and Mendrick were first dating. My my parents were against it. You know, he was just a lower-class citizen in their eyes. Mm. I grew up very wealthy. And when I decided to marry Mendrick and married him, they disowned me. I don't know what happened to my family. It, they, I don't even know where they're at because I heard that they left. Avalon. He's been all I got. And since we only have Grendel, and you are right, I got more, but I I just don't want him to die. No, you're right, and neither do I. Like, as much as he was not very, you know, approachable, it's definitely not something I would condone, you know, just killing a man in cold blood. And it is a high risk for us to go, you know, I think it's a risk either way, whether, whether we go or not. I mean, I know there's a bounty on my head, so, I mean, you could always say that you came across a bounty and I could tie myself up and we could go that way. <laughs> and who's going to believe that, and she like points to herself, who's going to believe that I caught you? Yeah, that's a good point. But he kind of like starts to like jumble a lot of stuff and be like, I'm not the most careful guy. Like, I'm pretty clumsy myself. Well, I don't know. That, that's an option, I guess. But if you guys believe that my husband is the one who sent the bounty, Marlo's not going to care about that. That's true. Do you think your husband would send the bounty, though? I don't know. Okay. He's... I believe he's been dabbling in things that... I don't know. There's been some letters that I've come across that have been... had some kind of secret coding recently I, I don't know what they are and I asked him about it and he told me not to worry about it hmm but I I don't know do you have any of these letters I, I don't okay I was like trying to crack a good code <laughs> keeps so, the mind sharp and when it comes to him wanting something, you know, I could possibly see it. I, I don't know why he would send a bounty after you, though. Why he would do that. Yeah. I mean, if we we were pretty much setting out to take the land away from him, and, well, we kind of did that. So I, I can see why he'd be pretty upset. Yeah. And I, I think that's why I kind of want to help you, is because... You know, I do feel 
I do feel responsible that for taking that away. And I think, you know, I'm not sure it's in a much better, much better hands than what it would have been. Like these Eagles have been the best way to get supplies. And if Mendrick doesn't, you know, Mendrick doesn't own it and he has no reason to, you know, help with supplies anymore. And, and sure we've, and you do have quite a debt. Aiden's Hollow does have quite a debt. Right. Right. If it, if you don't mind me asking, why is the Hollow so important to you? You know why I want to save Mendrick and my concerns, but why would you travel all this way to stop my husband from buying it what what does that place mean to you you know it is another place on the map but I've seen the way that Roscoe looks at the town I've seen the way that the refugees are in that town and you know it may not mean a whole lot to me but it means a whole lot to them and with the way that Mendrick was treating them it appeared that it was going to continue him not treating these people very well. And it may not be my home, but it is somebody else's home. You know, at least for me, like I am from, you know, Greenleaf. I set out to, I set out to be a bard. You know, I've studied at different, you know, the College of Fine Arts that's there in Dengal. And I've, you know, I've been to, you know, Avalon and, in Hiltador to study, you know, the different texts and books and things. And in a lot of these texts and books, I just realized that a lot of these heroes, they, they come from these small towns and they, they set out for something bigger. And so for me, like I want to become not just a bard that tells stories or sings songs, but I want to be a renowned bard who, who, was not just renowned for the stories that he told, but because he was part of the story that was told. And so I set off for, you know, a small little town, refugee town, you know, looking for, you know, I guess my story, like my, the big story that, that I can tell. And as I got to know Henley a little bit, and I got to know Lila Garatha and Roscoe and even Boudreaux, there's just something about them that all of them can be a part of this, of a great story. And I set off with them because, you know, that's what I'm looking for. And I think this group has it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a young elf. Like I'm just barely into adulthood. And if, you know, as we get moving along that, you know, if something happens along the way that unfortunately that you know, we take a turn or the other, like I still have, you know, time to find that, that crew to, to, to tell my story. Well, I, I can see that you're very passionate about that. If you truly believe that these, your friends can help and be successful in this, you, if you believe that then, then I'll believe you. You just seem different from them. 
and I'm not sure why you s stick with them or what you see in them because at least for you know for Roscoe I've I've noticed his kind of leadership but his lack of confidence in making dis big decisions and even going behind people's backs to get to make certain calls and deals with with things and and you know don't want to bring up Boudreaux and I don't know what's going on with that Lila Garatha lady and it seems like every time something bad happens Henley freezes up so obviously you you understand something that I don't she's not wrong <laughs> that's why I'm like uh, well you're not wrong <laughs> So I guess my question is You make a good point. Like what do you see in them that makes them that group that you can make your story with? You want to be that great bard, but do you really think it's this group? You know, I'm not a hundred percent sure that it's this group. And yes, you can see that they are all young like me as far as a young adventurer. But I think in every good story, like there's obviously there's always a beginning and it's always rough in the beginning and you're always learning. Like you mentioned that, you know, as far as what I see in Roscoe, like Roscoe has, wants to make sure that everyone is on, everyone agrees with the decision that's being made because when you have someone that doesn't agree it seems it, it very rarely does it go according to plan or you always have someone kind of dragging their feet and not doing the part that they want the part that they need to do to make everything work and so he, in my mind he tries to get everyone on board so that so that we can all work together as a unit and I think that is a key piece in leadership because you you can't just lead three or four and then drag one or two like if you try to drag one or two it always just slows everything down and so I think I see that in Roscoe as far as Lila and Garatha she just intrigues me because you've probably seen her have two distinct ways of speaking and two distinct yeah, I understand that there's two of them in her head. Yeah. You know, seeing her originally in the hollow, like after this happened, like she put her energy in trying to help the hollow. Like she was involved in the mining. She was, you know, although sometimes she does seem to question Roscoe's leadership, she's always, she always gets behind him when, when a decision has been made. And, you know, as we were in Avalon, you know, she really played a big part in getting us to the Duke and helping Aleem not be possessed. Like, you probably heard stories about 
Aleem and how long that she has been in I that state. Knew them quite well, yes. And like to look at this group and to see them band together. And yeah, Boudreaux plays 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 it off like he doesn't quite understand or that he's very aloof. But sometimes I think that he plays that way, but he has a flip side where he really knows what's going on, but he doesn't want to lead on that he does know. Well, if that's the case, he plays the fool very well. Yes, he does. Oh, I have my doubts. Yeah, and he's the shaman of the party, and when, you know, Roscoe and Lila Grotha and myself, to an extent, and Henley are, you know, attacking. I mean, someone's got to have the magic to to bring us back if we need to. Although, one way, one example, before we met you heading out of Babylon, uh, you probably didn't hear about our encounter with the back alley boys. I did not, no. They came out and they, they attacked us for reasons... We can get into later. And as we were going off, you know, trying to, you know, they attacked us. So we were, you know, using force, lethal force. As we were killing them, Boudreaux went over and spared them and brought them back, which shows me the compassion that he has. And although he may be aloof, that compassion is needed in a story. And as far as Henley goes, Henley's been through a lot. There are... Certain things that happened at Fort Ventral that I'm sure you've heard rumors of, I've heard rumors of. She was there when it happened. Henley's got connections on both sides of the line. And I think that plays, that's going to play a big role moving forward. She's also a really good ranger. Like, she's a very good tracker. Now, in her, sometimes in her current state, that doesn't come out but I think you've seen it even with yourself with her looking out for you she looks out for others and I think once she gets to a point where she becomes okay with Fort Ventral she's going to really start to shine so yes we're young we all have our doubts we all have our shortcomings but I think those shortcomings are going to be turned into great things and that's why I stick with this group. Only time will tell for me. And, you know, I have my shortcomings as well. And I kind of look over at the eagle, and then I look back. Mm-hmm. Well, with a, a speech like that, how how could I doubt? You make, you make very, very persuasive arguments. I'm still uncertain, but... If you have the faith and confidence and see something in them, I'll trust your judgment. Judgment. Because, I mean, what is your goal? Like, obviously you want to save Mendrick, right? Like, that's the big piece. What then? For all we know now, Mendrick, he already could be dead. Yeah. I... My, the only thing I can think about is just getting to him now. It is, I don't know if he's still alive or not. 
the more time that we wait, the less time I know what happens. But I understand that we need to be careful. We need to be cautious. The more information we have, the better chances we have to save him. Right. But we're also against time. And after this, Marlo's probably just going to keep coming. Unless... Would Mendrick ever give away the company? He's worked too hard to build it to where it's at. I mean, he he worked for the company for a long time. Trying to build it up, trying to do it, and he was very successful at it. Until... So, Marlowe may want the deed, but... If Marlowe's a smart man, he'd want Mendrick to continue to run it. Like, he, he had to have seen the way that the way that it was when his father lost it. And now he sees it now. Like, he may want the deed, but I don't think Mendrick is, I don't, I think he's alive. Like, a smart businessman like himself can definitely play a role in a company. And Marlowe, he's got to want to keep him around. I keep somebody around when they're better than you. Like, he wants the glory for himself. He doesn't want to share that. What if he runs it into the ground like his old man? And that's... And then there's no glory. I don't know. I just... I, I just know that... Marlowe... Wants it back. I'm sure he's not thinking that way. I don't know what he's thinking he's tried several times legally to try and get it back but hasn't so now he's gone to this extreme Hmm. so as of right now i don't know what he's capable of and that's what worries me yeah you know i'm this desperate to go leave avalon travel all the way to the hollow to kidnap my husband and hold him for ransom yeah which i guess it goes back to your point of you know this whole deal anyways is he really going to hold up his end I don't know I guess the more we talk about it the more it is better to wait for more information so we know exactly what we're getting into yeah and you know Roscoe did contact Swindell and there's more information coming they're going to do some scouting so let's let's wait here a night will be, what, a day's journey behind them? Do you think we should wait two nights and be two nights behind to let them kind of gather information before we try and find them in the hollow? I don't see any reason why we couldn't necessarily get closer. I mean, probably definitely stay here tonight. Uh, Maybe tomorrow head out and get closer to the hollow because I definitely don't want to stay here too long with Nevelton so close. Yeah, that's a good point. But I think tonight we'll be okay. I mean, it's still early, but I I don't necessarily feel like traveling. Unless you feel that we, we should. You know this area more than I do. Yeah, no, I think we've been here, what, one night? I don't like staying in the same spot for too long, but I think two nights is good. 
So we'll stay one more night here and then we'll we'll kind of fly off to where they flew and see if we can find them. Okay. And you just see here kind of walk back to the fire. <laughs> kind of just sit there. There's really not much to do for her to do <laughs> around here. <laughs> okay, you're going to practice on your Yeah, I'll practice with the deed. And then I'm going to ask, Joanna, do you know how to cook? I don't. <laughs> okay, and he'll just, like, hand her some rations. Okay, she she takes them and she nibbles on them a little bit. And then he'll he'll go and, you know, nibble on some rations as well and go continue working on the deed. Okay, I'll have you roll me some some dice here. And I believe we were having you roll your intelligence, right? Yep. Okay, so go ahead and roll me. You got a long day, so let's see how... I'll have you roll three of them, but roll them one at a time. Gut check. Uh, six. <laughs> okay. Because of the conversation you've been having with with Joanna earlier in the morning. Kind of got you a little distracted about that. Um, go ahead and make me another roll. This one is a 21. Okay. You're able to hone in a little bit. And with Joanna's help, you're able to like find out the, the errors of a lot of things. So this next one, I'll give you an advantage. Nineteen. Okay. It's looking pretty good. There's still some work to do, but it's possible that it could be passable. <laughs> <laughs> it's looking it's looking pretty good. And you're still practicing on Henley's extra paper she gave you, right? Right. Okay. It gets nighttime. Is there anything particular you want to do to prepare for the night? No, I mean, try and just maybe look around to make sure there's no... There's no one else around that we need to fly off, that no one's going to sneak up on us or anything like that. And then I will take my four hours of meditation and hope for the best. <laughs> okay. And I'm guessing you're going to have a fire tonight too? Yeah, I mean, how chilly is it? It's, it's on the... The days are starting to get a little warmer. The days are... St- the nights are still kind of chilly, but not like unbearable. Like you'd wrap up in a in your, in your and... sleeping bag and stuff like that and be fine. Okay, I'm gonna say no, because we've already been here for a night. We had a fire last night. Let's not do a fire, but we can wrap up in our eagles if it gets cold. Okay, you see, Joanna kind of nuzzling up next to her eagle. Trying to be, you know, get warm. She seems okay. A little uneasy about not having a fire. But she kind of understands, you know, fire might bring (laughs) unexpected visitors, possibly. And during the night, you hear this loud kind of whoosh. And trees and like snapping branches and a bunch of rustling of leaves 
in the middle of the night. Followed by just this kind of high pitch snarls and and squeaks and hisses. What do you do? And Joanna wakes up and she's she you can see the panic. Whoa, what was that? I and freeze. It's making, and it's making tons of noises. Is it coming from a certain direction? It is coming from a direction, and it's easy to identify what direction it's coming okay. from. I'm going to go over to Joanna and try and just keep her calm and quiet. Okay. And see if it passes. It doesn't seem... It, you hear the noises, but you did doesn't seem to be getting closer or farther away. Man, I really want to go see what Roll me a... It is dark, but you have night vision. Yeah, can I see anything with where I'm at? As you're scanning... Roll me a... A perception. Thirteen. With that, you see the, the moon is actually pretty bright tonight. And so you're able to see... You can't quite tell. Everything's kind of... It being kind of a little forested area, it's kind of hard to tell, but you can hear a lot of rustling of a tree. Does it seem like it's multiple creatures or just one? It sounds like it's only one. A lot of hissing and snarling. Okay. So as time goes by, like my first reaction is just kind of go and stay quiet. As I realize that it's not coming any closer to me, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go see what it is. But you're able to, as you sneak in there, Joanna's totally against it, against you going. But are you going to stay behind or are you going to continue? Yeah, based off the conversation we had, he won't go if she doesn't want him to. Although she, he will try and persuade her mm-hmm. and be like, look, we kind of need to know what this is to know if we need to get out of here now. Or if we can wait the rest of the night. But if you want to just keep quiet and wait and see, he'll stay with her. Well, I just... We probably should just get out of here. Like, if... That thing sounds... Sounds mean. Welcome to Tomes of the Chaos Bard Mid-Show Break. I'm your host, Rupert Bumpkin, from the Rocky Talkie Gnome Radio Network. First item of business is the five-star reviews. Remember that Solemn will give you a shout-out and read your review on Solemn's column. Then he will review your review. It's great fun! Second is the Ko-Fi. This is our Patreon merchandise store. You can purchase keychains, coloring pages, and MP3s of our songs. You can also commission to feed the cast or write a letter to Dear Boudreaux. If you are interested in becoming a patron, there are three tiers, each with varying rewards, including a full post-show, DM Dave's Deep Dives, and Coloring Activity Book with exclusive art. Go to ko-fi.com slash Tomes of the Chaos Bard. That is ko-fi, K-O-F-I dot com forward slash Tomes of the Chaos Bard. And help us grow. And last but not least, the biggest way you can help us is share us with your friends and family. That is all, folks. Back to the show. That thing sounds... Sounds mean. It doesn't sound very happy. And as you guys are having that conversation, you hear kind of a thud and rustling of trees again. 
and you start hearing another sound on top of those hissing and snarls. What languages do you know? Uh, common, Elvish, Gnomish, Sylvan. But I've, ho- I've heard Latagrotha speak Orc, and I've heard a little bit of Goblin, so if I could maybe not understand, but maybe recognize mm-hmm. that that's the language they're speaking. So you eventually hear this loud thud, and it goes quiet a little bit, and then you hear those hissing and snarling again. But then you hear a, you hear a voice. You don't know what it says, but you can tell it's Goblin. And then all of a sudden, you start hearing kind of loud hyena sounds as well. I'm going to turn to Joanna and be like, we've got to get out of here. Okay. So you guys start hurrying to get get things out. You're hearing snarling and hissing of a different creature. And it sounds like they're engaged in some kind of battle. You guys are hurrying, and it almost, every now and then, it seems like it's getting closer. And you hear something hit a tree, and you're just hearing all these different sounds as you're getting ready to go. And then you do, you do hear a loud kind of painful anguish cry of that goblin voice again. And it sounds very... Make me perception check. 14. It's a lot... sounds a lot different than other goblins that you've heard. This one sounds feminine. Which is strange to you. You've never met a, a seen a female goblin, for one. But I want you to write, uh, roll me a history check. One. <laughs> one. So six with my... So it was a natural one. So it was a natural one. Okay. Nothing's, just, coming, right. nothing's coming to your head about it. It's just strange. Yeah. And the hyena cackles and stuff are gone now. There's only that voice. And the hissing and snarling still going on. You can see Joanna, she's almost ready to go. So in the hustle that you guys are like trying to hurry up and pack things, um, Joanna falls. And she twists her ankle and she gives out a out of a painful yelp, you know, yelp. Ow! And you hear the fight go silent. And then suddenly you hear a bunch of scurrying towards you. So I'm going to try to help her up on the eagle and get her up into the air. Mm -hmm. And what happens at that point? Like, are they upon me? Okay, so I want you to make me a strength check to get her up and on. Natural 20. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> Your instincts just kick in. Tell me how you're doing this. All right. So after I see her fall down, like I see her, the eagle, she was already kind of close to the, she was running toward the eagle. So I'm going to kind of swoop down, kind of pick her up, like get underneath. Like after I imagine 
like after she had fallen down, she's like trying to get back up. She's like limping toward the eagle because she's still right. And in she, this state of she fear. She hears something coming. Right? She hears something coming. So I'm going to kind of dip down, try to get her legs like over my shoulder, pick her up, and then put her on the eagle. Okay. And then tell the eagle, assuming she will now control the eagle to tell him to get, to get out. Yeah. And that eagle starts taking off. Okay. So you're able to get her on the eagle and she starts flapping away. The eagle takes off. And then as you like look up in the air as that, you look down and you just see this creature that you've never seen this creature before. It, it stands probably about four feet to five feet tall. It's very lanky. It has kind of a long, longer snout and that has whiskers on it and its front teeth. Like it's very two front teeth are, are very large and it kind of reminds you of a rat as it comes charging after you. It looks kind of beaten up already and it coming full speed at you. As it comes forward though, you suddenly see this blinding light as this this silvery ray just comes down upon the creature. And it squeals and it kind of like falls forward a bit, but it still tries to to stand up. Okay, it's back to you. Can I see where that blinding light, what direction that blinding so light that came blind, from? So that blinding light came from above. Oh, like Joanna? Above or just in the tree? It came from the sky somewhere. Oh, man. It was like a silvery beam of pale light, and it seemed to only encompass a five-foot area. And the creature is kind of like rolled out of it, but it's still there. And it goes about 40 feet high in the air. The creature does? The the ray of light. The ray of light. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, where am I at relative to my eagle? You're probably like 10 feet away. Can I run the 10 feet, get on my eagle, and then cast Shatter? You sure can. Spell time. A sudden loud ringing noise, painfully intense, erupts from a point of your choice within range. Each creature in a 10-foot radius, so it's going to be around the rat-looking thing. Okay. Each creature in a 10-foot radius spear, centered on that point, must make a constitution saving throw. A creature takes 3d8 thunder damage on a failed save, or half as much on a successful one. A creature made of inorganic material, such as stone, crystal, or metal has disadvantage on this saving throw. Okay, and she got a con save, you said? Yes. What does he have to beat? Uh, 14. Oh. Natural 20. Oh. <laughs> it's able to resist it, but it still takes a half. Yep. Actually, I'm going to change that. Because it was a natural 20. He's four, and he absorbs <laughs> it. And he gains 3d8 damage. Oh no. Or half of 3d8. And shoots it at you. And then shoots it back. <laughs> and that's pretty sweet. Now, since he got a 
natural 20. I'm still going to have him take damage, but he's only going to take a quarter of the damage that you roll. Okay. Four damage for him. Okay. He kind of grabs his head a little bit. Gets it. He still looks like he's moving somewhat. And you could just see he, like, the creature lifts its head at you and just gives you kind of a nasty hiss and tries to get back up. And from behind, you see this other creature jump out of the forest on top of the rat. As they land, you see the kind of a, a flash of kind of a yellowish light. And the creature, the rat creature, gives out a loud snarl and it lays still. The creature that landed there kind of gazes up at you and then just falls to the side. Do I recognize these creatures that just killed this rat thing? So in the moonlight, you would be able to tell because it was probably only like 15 feet away from you. You could tell that it was a smaller creature, kind of was wearing some leather skins, and had kind of like matted, gross-looking hair. Possibly could be a gnome or a halfling. She just rolls over, and you, like, you're possibly able to hear some kind of moan, but that's about it. Oh, no, just dying. Yeah. Oh crap. <laughs> The creature or the, the little gnome, like the gnome halfling you, creature? You can guess that the rat is is dead because it gave this loud snarl and, and laid still. And then she kind of looked up at you and just fell to the side. I can't leave her there to die. He does take off. Right, the eagle does kind of take off and that's when he sees mm-hmm. that it could be a gnome or a halfling and kind of sees it lay off to the side and he's like... When you get a better good look at yeah, it. Yeah, right. When I get a better look. The, right in the moonlight. Right. And he's going to do the call to tell the eagle to land. You know, he wants to be right in the thick of things. So he's going to jump off. Oh. He's going to go over to the gnome halfling looking thing. And that beam, big beam of light, mm-hmm. when she fell over, it disappeared, by the way. Mm. But you're going to her. Yeah, I'm going to go to her. Prop her up on her side, look at her, and cast. Actually, let's just do that. I'm going to check her pulse. Okay, <laughs> yeah, do me a medicine check. I want to see if she's alive or dead. 16. 16K. You're able to find a pulse, but it is very weak. And at this point, I can tell she's gnome, halfling. She's wearing leathers, and they seem to be like tanned leathers from animals. They're very worn and weathered. She does not smell very good. She smells a lot like Boudreaux, just a, just a little worse. And that her her hair is just all dirty and matted. One thing that does catch your eye, though, is that she has three nasty scars on her face that go from kind of the top of her forehead down to her jaw. It's on the left side of her face doesn't hit her eye, the three scars. They kind of go around her eye. They go in a diagonal from her um, up on her top forehead down to her left jaw. 
Do I recognize those scars from anyone I've seen either in Avalon or the Hollow? You do not recognize these scars. But they seemed... They're well healed up. Right. They looked pretty nasty when they happened. Right. He's going to cast Cure Wounds. Uh, Creature you touch regains a number of hit points equal to 1d8 plus my spellcasting ability modifier. Okay. Ten. You heal her and you can kind of see some of the the battle wounds that she's received. You can kind of see them heal up a little bit. And she gasps a little bit. (gasps) And she like looks up at you and you can see that there's a little panic in her eye. Just because she doesn't know know who you are and she kind of tries to push you off how fitting she's too weak to really to really push you off or anything but she starts speaking you don't understand her she starts speaking in goblin but you can kind of see kind of panic in her eye he wouldn't like he recognizes that she's trying to push him off he won't resist Mm mm-hmm and he, he'll recognize that she's trying and he's going to get back and just kind of like throw up his hands like, and he's just going to be like, I'm a friend. And as you say those words, she like, she scurries up and like just kind of rolls away a few feet and is taking a few deep breaths, looks at the, at the body of the, the rat creature and looks at you and like kind of examines herself and notices that she's, you know, been healed a little bit. And you see her just kind of take a few deep breaths and she goes, You are friends. You kill me. Yes. Oh. You, you helped me kill this creature. Yes. <laughs> and she like gets... What, what are you doing in these woods? I I hunt these creatures. They they are foul. Unnatural. You can tell that she's trying to speak in common, but it's very kind of broken and has every now and then she slips in goblin words and then she like corrects herself a little bit. They are very unnatural. And they disturb the nature. Do they transform into humans? Or into a person with legs? <laughs> a humanoid? Humanoid! Yes, <laughs> that. Okay. I, I don't understand, but I know that they can transform, like you, you said. They, they, they change. And and as you like, as she's looking, you can see the body of of the rat creature slowly change into a, a human. And as it, it doesn't come to a surprise to her, she's like, I don't know what it is, but every time I kill one, they. Do that. Do they ever come back alive after that happens? I burn them. They are were creatures. Have you been bit 
by one or scratched by one. And he kind of points to her face. And she like reaches up and touches her face and she's, these are old scars. But, and she like looks at, you know, you can see that she's been scratched and beat up. But I have had many battles with these creatures. Have you ever turned into one? Or had a lapse in memory? No. He has not. Interesting. Do you, you know these creatures? I know a little. I, I know. I've been following this one for a while. Most of them were in the canyons. Yes. What I can remember... I'm not exactly sure where they came from or started, but I know that if they get, if you get bit by one, that's how it spreads. It's like a disease, but it seems that you may be, it may not affect you. Well, I've been very careful not to be bit. Most animals do carry diseases, so being bit is very dangerous, and I deal with many animals. Most of these wounds are just scratches. So you have to be bit and not scratched. Have you been scratched before? Like multiple times? Depending on the creature, some have been boars. And some have been bears. Interesting. But you you call them were-creatures. Yes. Because you don't know where the human went. (laughs) (laughs) And she kind of just, like, nods in understanding. I... I don't know how many there are. And to see this one travel so far and last this long has me worried that they will reach other places. For sure. They do lots of damage in the forest, in nature. I... You can find more about these creatures in Hayden's Hollow. And where is that? Is that where the the others live? In the canyon? Yes. If you go through the canyon, it's it's near the end? That place ruins nature. They dig into the canyons and ruin its beauty. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been there before? I have lived there off and on. I go there to seek solace. You should ask around about the were-creatures when you're there next. I avoid that place. I thought you said you go there to seek solace. Not to... You, you see her kind of mumbling and... You hear her mumbling and goblin a little bit. The groups... Of peop- of creatures, of people. Mm. 
I don't go there. I seek solace in the rocks, in nature. It's definitely a good place to find solace. That is where I first encountered them before they, before the others began digging. The one thing I do not know is if these creatures, these were creatures, only affect humans, your kind creatures, or if they infect the animals as well. All I know is they bring destruction to everything. Yes. Healing wherever it goes. Yes. And it's, they're easier to kill with silver. She kind of cocks her head a bit. Silver? It's a type of metal. And he'll pull out his silver dagger and his normal dagger. Mm. And he'll kind of show her like, this dagger, not very effective. This dagger, super effective. Is, is it... Blessed. No, it's made differently. So silver is metal like iron. Yes, I I am familiar with these minerals from the ground. Yes. Others make them into shelters and weapons. Yes. And they wear it, too. She kind of, like, points to your your leather armor. You wearing minerals is unnatural. Having weapons of metal is unnatural. He's just going to look at her a little <laughs> peculiar, like... You shooting beams of light out of somewhere is, seems unnatural, too, but... <laughs> I mean, I shoot thunder out of stuff, so it's kind of cool. Do you say that to her? No. Okay. <laughs> no. He's I just have kinda, a response. <laughs> yeah, he's just kind of thinking that in his head. That's weird. Like, how do you protect yourself? For Like, I'm just going to say for protection, and I'll put him away. Are you okay? She kind of lo- checks herself out, and she's like, thanks to you, I should be okay. Little okay. time to recover. And on to the next beast. Keep tracking down those were creatures. Good luck. And he's gonna go back to his eagle. Okay, you get back on your eagle, and she just kind of stares at you for a little bit, and then she kind of begins walking up to you. So during this whole conversation, she's been very, like, eye contact wise. She hasn't been keeping eye contact. She'll be talking, but she'll be like glancing around and looking around. Um, and she slowly walks towards you before you take off. And she she goes, Be careful. There are others out there. I wouldn't draw too much attention to yourself. They're watching. Others like yourself? Mm-hmm. Or other creatures? I have seen others from the ground come up and talk to goblins. They are around. 
Be careful where you go. The ones from the ground. And she kind of like stops for a minute and ones like you. But their ears are more pointed down. Is that the drow? Yes. They speak with goblins. They talk. They deal. Thank you. And he's like, oh crap. <laughs> Been gone too long. We, I will be as careful as I can be. Do they usually deal at night? Yes. And he kind of looks up, hoping he sees Joanna and his other eagle. <laughs> knowing it's dark and he probably won't Knowing it's dark and he probably won't be able to. But he says thanks, good luck, and he tries to go find Joanna. He starts, I don't know about screaming her name, but he's like, <laughs> kind of tells the eagle to go, hey, go find the other eagle. <laughs> let's, let's go. Let's go. We've got to get. Okay, like I said, it's a pretty bright night. The light, the moon is bright. Roll me... An investigation check. 18. Okay. You're able to catch something kind of in the air with you. It seems quite at the distance away. But you could probably assume that it is Joanna. It's pretty safe to assume it is. Do I see any other things in the air or hear anything else in the air? Not in the air, no. Okay, he's going to take off, assuming that's Joanna, and try to go find her. Okay. How, well, I'll have you roll me a survival check. As you're following. Uh, 19. Okay. You notice that um, the direction that this eagle's, the one you're following is going, is going north instead of going east towards Hayden's Hollow. So what's north? You know that pretty much where you're at, you would know that north, there's really nothing up there. If you go northwest, you would run into the the Fort Ventral when you guys came in. But that's more back west and then a little bit north, where this one's going directly north and you can't really think of any other settlements that are up there he's gonna assume Joanna just doesn't know where she, it's Joanna she doesn't know where it's going probably a safe assumption and he's gonna keep going after she, it she just went she just went cause she was scared and that's he thinks it's Joanna and he's really hoping it's Joanna <laughs> and he's just gonna keep going are you trying to spur your eagle to go faster yeah i want to catch up and knowing we're kind of going the wrong direction but okay you do eventually catch up to joanna <laughs> <laughs> and uh it does take you a couple you know she's had quite a lead on you took you a minute to catch up you're able to get her attention do you guys want to try and land somewhere or what do you want to do Knowing that we're kind of going the wrong way, I want to... S but also knowing that it's dark and there might be other people up around here, but then if he lands, there's more people <laughs> on the ground. So either way, he's 
But he knows that to catch up with the party, he's got to go east. So he wants to steer back towards the hollow in the direction that he's seen Henley fly off earlier that morning. Oh, one thing I did forget to mention, though. So if you go northeast, there's also a place called uh, High Ridge, which is the city before you enter down into the canyon. There's also that place up there, too, that you remember. How far is High Ridge from Hayden's Hollow? To go probably with eagles, it'd probably take you another day or so to get there. Yeah, they probably he probably wouldn't go to High Ridge. If this were Skyrim, I would. <laughs> <laughs> um, how long do you want to go until morning? No, I I'd probably go until I seen like a clearing, some sort of clearing or some place to land that I thought was safe. Okay. There's quite a few clearings because you're you're in the plains. There's just patches of kind of trees and groves. Is but there, most of it's pretty wide open. Okay. Is it is there anything like is there any high spots? Like cliffs or any sort of place that's like that we can land that there's it's a, the only really place you could get in order to get there would be on some sort of steed. Not unless you went deeper into the canyons, which is still probably a couple hours away. You could find something. (laughs) So he's going to consult with Joanna and be like, do we want to chance landing on the ground or should we go find a mountain range? At at this point, I don't think... Any one of us is going to get any sleep unless we know we're safe. I would agree. Let's continue on. We'll keep going to the canyons. Okay, you're able to find a nice little place. It takes you a couple hours to get to the canyons. And then you're able to find a little roosting spot on a high plateau that you could land and rest. Okay, and by that time, it's <laughs> sun's coming up. <laughs> We're obviously going to get some sleep. Yeah. We'll take a couple hours of rest, and then we'll kind of continue on towards the hollow. And I think I would establish, hey, Joanna, I'm going to have, I'm going to watch for the first, for these few hours, let you get a few hours of sleep. And then I will meditate while you watch, and you can wake me up if there's any thing coming. and. We'll spend the day up here. I can work on the deed a little bit more and just give them, I guess, give, you know, the party more time to gather information before we contact them. Give me a couple more um, intelligent checks for the deception to see how much farther you get on, on that. Okay. At this stage... He has three pieces of the parchment. Mm-hmm. He wants to try to use one of those pieces and do it for real. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Ten? 
Okay. Roll me another one. 13. And one more. Eight. Okay. Because the paper's a little different, you know, it's a little different than Henley's journal paper. A different texture to it and whatnot. It looks all right, but Joanna's not too convinced about it. That kind of takes you a good couple hours trying to make sure all the fine prints there and stuff like that, but she's not too convinced about it. Right. So he's not going to destroy that one, but he, or make it like crinkle it up or anything. He wants to put it in a safe spot. Cause if that's the best one he has of the three, mm-hmm. then we'll kind of formulate a plan based off of, hey, this is the best one we've got. Like you can give him the real deed. Like I gave him my best shot type deal. Gotcha. So it's he'll he'll kind of leave that decision up to Joanna, but he does want to. He'll eventually try again. Okay. I think we'll wrap it up there. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us on this little adventure with Fenrir and Joanna on their little side quest. We'll get back to the main group here soon. But with that, I am DM Dave, and to the front I have <laughs> Fenrir. <laughs> And until next time, we unroll the scroll to tell the tale. Bye. He's going to ask, do you speak gnomish in gnomish? And she seems confused. Okay. And then he's going to try elvish. Doesn't understand. And Sylvan. Doesn't understand. Worth a shot. (laughs) He will continue in common. Okay.